Welcome to episode 29 of Lost Signals. My name is Daryl, and I am joined by a very special guest today, uh, the CEO and founder of uh, Dingwall Guitars, Sheldon Dingwall. How are you doing today, Sheldon? Hey, good, Daryl. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm dealing with this damn cold that we're all dealing with right now, and uh, I'm tired of it already. But, yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's winter in Saskatchewan, I guess. Um, so, yeah, we'll get, we'll get right into this. Like, what's it like running a company like yours out of a small city like Saskatoon? Um, I would say there's more advantages than disadvantages. Um, you know, uh, there are so many different kinds of businesses and, and my business is based in the arts. Um, uh, it's an artisan style business. And uh, that type of business specifically takes a long time to start generating any income. Right. Um, right. And uh, so it doesn't matter if you're a filmmaker or an author or um, a musician or artist. Um, when you first start out, virtually nobody cares except for your immediate family and friends. Right. Um, so it takes a long time. And so, um, and you need time to, to, uh, hone your craft. And so the beauty of Saskatoon is that nothing is more than 20 minutes away. So yeah. the, the amount of time that I've saved just in commutes through my career would amount to years of time spent developing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, doing something like that in a city, like even like Vancouver or Toronto would just, yeah, your travel time alone and to find, yeah. to yeah. find uh, um, a maker space too, I could see in a, in a larger city like that would be a, uh, more of a challenge especially compared to Saskatoon anyways um so so what what inspired you to start building like what like where where did where did this passion for building guitars come from uh kind of just the way I'm wired um anytime I'm involved with something that that captures my attention uh uh i start looking at the mechanical aspects and going hmm what would happen if we did this so uh when i broke my leg i i designed crutches and air conditioning systems for for boots and yep. and um uh there's three devices i can't remember what the third one was but um and uh, you know, uh, I, I was, I'm a lifelong guitar lover. And so from the age of 12, I started coming up with guitar designs that I thought were revolutionary. Uh, yeah. Of course, the first ones were terrible, but, um, and some of the later ones are terrible too. I still make, you know, uh, missteps. Um, and so it's just natural. It's just natural. I'm just wired that way. Yeah. Um, so what, so, so you said you, you've made some terrible guitars and some good guitars. What would have been your favorite that you've built so far? Um, like, is there like, like the, yeah. like say the specific model, like, like, was it one of a, tr like a Prima or a Z3 or like, or, or is there something that, that hasn't been released? You know, um, the, the simple answer to that, and I'm not sidestepping the question, but the simple answer to that is my favorite is the next one. Because for me, that's where the excitement is. It's in the creation. It's in the birthing. Yeah. Um, once th once they turn into a model, um, yeah, there's a sense of pride and there's a sense of standing back and going, I feel really good about that. Um, and uh, and then they become like your children. And so, um, you know, you have 
if you have a big family, um, there's going to be one kid that's better looking and there's going to be one kid that's smarter and yeah. they all have their, their strengths. And that's the same thing with, with every single base we build. They're, they're, they're like children. Yeah. And so, so you guys have two shops now, like you have the, the custom shop and then the, uh, the, the, the imported shop right now. Yeah. So they're, they're all housed within the same building complex. Yeah. Um, but, but they are distinctly separate divisions. Yeah. Um, so how many are like, how many bases have you put through now? Like, uh, like, like sit like the NG yeah. series or like combustion series. Like, like, cause I know, I know the serial number of mine and it's like in the 1700s, but, uh, yeah, we're, would be, uh, I think we're into the eight thousands now. Oh, wow. Um, and then when you add in the domestics, uh, it's, it's well over 10,000. That's, um, that's amazing. Yeah. But like that you've been doing this for quite a while now like yeah 33 years yeah and yeah because i think i bought my first one i think i was it's just about 10 years now when i bought my super j um and i i i hadn't heard about your ear company like until i saw this one hanging on the wall at in long McQuaid in saskatoon and then then i started doing the research about it and yeah it's fantastic stuff um so let, let, let's jump back so like I guess like I ended up hearing about your stuff mainly through YouTube. And I think a lot of people maybe saw that. And like, and the first place that I really saw it was the, uh, the make total destroy base cam video that Nolly put out. What had you had a, uh, a relationship or like a, uh, a conversation with him before that video came out or was it kind of just, they just mm. released it and, uh, saw what happened you know i think that was i think that was probably the first video i saw of nolly um but i'd met him previous to that i met him in 2011 yeah uh met met doug castro in 2011 at the exact same uh, weekend yeah um and uh uh it was an event called the london bass guitar show so um took a gamble um couldn't really afford to go over there never been to the uk before um and i was like uh, man i don't i don't know if this is such a good idea but we'll risk it yeah um and and now london feels like my second home and and uh meeting nolly was um it was just a great experience like uh you know there are some people that that, that you know you you still remember the first time you saw them they made an impression on you yeah and uh, that was how it was with Nolly. He didn't come across as, you know, a rock star or, or an industry giant that he was he was going to become. He just like, oh, that's a nice looking kid. Uh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pause and say hi to him. Yeah, yeah. Any interview I've I've, saw, I've seen with him like is uh, very well spoken and and, and an ex like an amazing guitar player. Like I, I I, I strive for that. Um, but yeah, I, I own one of the signature models as well so um yeah, cool yeah it's like did you notice a like an uptick in like interest like after that video came out or was it kind of just like all like the snowball effect where you know like what was it like just a like a number of things you know um I think I think snowball would be better way of of, of terming it um we've since 2000, uh, we've seen relatively steady but slow growth. Right. Um, 
other than you know when the whole world fell apart in 2008-9 um you know at that point we leveled off we didn't grow we didn't fall but we right. we leveled off um and and so i i think it's different than it used to be like i remember um reading stories about Mesa Boogie and when Carlos Santana, uh, they did a guitar player interview with him and he talked about this, this great amp, all of a sudden it was just an explosion for Mesa Boogie and they had to, you know, they had to leave the phone off the hook because there were so many people calling him. Yeah. Nowadays with TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, everyone has so much access to varied information that it's, it's, it's easier to get your 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 uh, message out there, but it makes way less of an impact as it might have, you know, back when people only had one source of information. Right. Yeah. Um, and you see the you see the same thing in the music industry. Like uh, when the Sony Walkman came out, all of a sudden everybody everybody started narrowing their musical tastes, and it started to spread out. Yeah. And and that was kind of the the start of the end for the super groups. Yeah. So what would be the weirdest place that you've seen one of your bases? Like, or, or say like biggest show, like that, that your, your, your guitars have been featured on. Oh, um, biggest show probably was, uh, the Academy Awards. Uh, is that, is that Duran like Duran? Like uh, no, that was Lee Sklar. He was oh, in yeah, the orchestra yeah. pit. Right. Um, I, also I remember them going to. I remember them going to commercial break and, and he played uh, spectrum. So it was like, yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. I, I love his YouTube channel, by the way. It's uh, he's a very funny man. I'd like, to, I'd, I'd like to interview him as well at some point, but uh, um, how did that relationship happen between uh, yourself uh, and Leland Sklar? Uh, first Nam show. Um, first Nam show was 1994. Uh, shared a booth with Ralph Novak. And, um, believe it or not, uh, Charlie Hunter was, was the guy that did the booth demos, uh, for Ralph. Um, yeah. uh, Charlie Hunter was a friend of Ralph's, a uh, customer of Ralph's. And, and, uh, looking back, I was like, are you kidding me? Uh, I had no idea who he was. And, yeah. and, um, uh, that was pretty amazing. So long story short, um, I left my booth, walked around the corner, bumped into Lee and uh, said, hey, uh, I'm Sheldon Ningle, yada, yada, yada. Um, and uh, since then, I've learned that Lee typically doesn't accept invitations to go to somebody's booth and try something out. But for whatever reason, uh, there, there was enough of a connection right at that moment that he, that he came back. Um, and when he came back, uh, there was a guy named Max Bennett. Uh, Max has unfortunately passed away now, but Max is a bass player that played in the Joni Mitchell band. And Max is the guy that took over from Jocko. Uh, I, I can't imagine trying to fill Jocko's shoes, but, but yeah. Max was up to the challenge. Max was there. Uh, Lee is a fan of Max. And so the two of them just sort of chatted and played the bass for, I don't know, probably an hour. Um, and, and Lee liked it enough to give me his contact details and, uh, it took a year to get him another, get him a, a base down to him. Yeah. But uh, finally got one down to him. Um, and this was back in the days of faxes. <laughs> and so uh, I got a fax on a Friday afternoon. Uh, hey, the base showed up. The play's really good. I'm going to take it to work tomorrow. 
And I thought, huh, okay, that's cool. So Monday morning, um, had a call from him and, and he'd used it on uh, uh, Brian Wilson album. And, uh, and his, his exact words were, um, I love it. This thing's amazing. Anything you want, I'll do it. And so uh, that's when the relationship started. So that was 2005 when that, yeah. or sorry, 1995 when that happened. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and then what his signature model came out, what, early 2000s? Yeah. So um, uh, a good friend of mine, Kelly Cowan, and I were, were just sort of joking around. We like to bounce ideas off of each other. And one of us came up with the idea. We're talking about swamp ash and all of them. One of us yeah. came up with the idea of what would happen if you split the body right down the middle and went half all their half ash. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we both kind of laughed at what a crazy idea that was. But it stuck. Um, and I decided to try it one day. So rather than swamp, uh, rather than swamp ash, um, uh, I used northern ash because we had experience with northern ash and bodies and the beast ring is just phenomenal yeah um but it's heavy and the treble uh, strings can be a little harsh sounding and and alder was the opposite alder the treble strings were nice and warm but the b string sounded a little soft by comparison yeah, yeah. so it just took the best of, of of each wood and and created a body out of it and to the best of my knowledge i don't think anybody else has has done this prior or since um uh, but it's, it's, it makes an amazing difference. So anyways, long story short, made two of them. One went to Earl Pereira and the other one went to Lee yep. and, and Lee, that became, that became one of the bases that Lee just used on everything. So that was on, oh, the Phil Collins tour. That was on the Toto tour. Um, is that that, and that so, the red one that he has? Yeah. Yeah. Red metal flake. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous, um, gorgeous guitar. And so, uh, so then, I forget what year it was. It was maybe two years, three years after that. Um, built one, uh, another one for him, and uh, took it down to him at Nam. And he was in the studio, and and when he first played it, he was like, "Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's just, it's not the same. It's not as good. I don't like it as much." Yeah. Um, and, uh, so that was on like a Monday or something like that. Um, and then about a week later, got a call from him and said, you know what? Um, I actually like the bass now, but, uh, what happened was I took it into the studio. The producer heard it and he made me re-record the entire album with that bass. And oh, by wow. the time that was done, I'd gotten used to the tone of it. Now I really like it. Yeah. And yeah, so that's. That's when we turned it into a signature model, which ironically, um, uh, for until Lee got his, his next bass from us, which was several years, um, the he was the only one who had a Lee sig at least our signature model that didn't have his signature on it. It was my signature, not, not his. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've never seen one in person. I'd really like to. Uh, I'd, I'd like to hear it like specifically, but. Uh... I know how my Super J plays, and I, I can just imagine what, what that would play like. So what would be like your favorite wood combination, say beside the like the, the swamp ash? Um 
it, it has, there, it depends on what you want to achieve from it. Um, I really like mid range. And the reason I like mid range is, is, um, I think that's where the musical information resides. Yeah. So, um, bass players focus a lot on the fundamental. Um, but on a five string bass, the fundamental is getting close to the very floor of what you can hear. And if you were to take away everything, but the fundamental, you wouldn't be able to really tell what the pitch was. It would just be like this low rumbling note with no real information. So really, yeah, really just pushing a lot of air rather than being a defined note. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, uh, our base is maybe by accident, um, uh, just have a lot of harmonic content. Um, and that's just, just what I thought I liked to hear and, and what I, what I thought the bass should sound like. And, uh, and, and so we've had feedback for decades that, that there's a lot of musical information that now the singer can, can read pitch off the bass. Yeah. Um, and that's because of those, that harmonic content, the drummer can hear, um, uh, what the bass player is doing and, and lock in better because of all this extra information. So woods that would give you that would be more mid-centric. So, um, that would be alders, uh, walnuts, mahoganies. Um, and then if you want to do the slappity slappity smile graph tone, then yeah. swamp ash comes in. Um, and so that would be a different type of tone. Yeah. That's de that the slapping is definitely not my uh, my forte. I, I I've tried it. I just can never I can never get it down to where it sounds the way it's supposed to. I try though. Um, let's see. Uh, so like back to the wood, well not wood thing, but like what about like the the models? Like we you have like like quite a range. Like like you have short scale i call them short scale but like compared comparatively they're they're not a short scale but like you have the like super j and the super p and then the long scale like the, uh, your combustion series your z series the afterburner series what would be next like what style would you want to build next i mean you have the d rocks series too which they're they're great too um yeah well you know um we're we're always going to do the long scale stuff because um i i just think I, I just think that there is a place for that um just like there's a there's a place for big concert grand pianos they they do something that no other uh piano can do and this does something that no other bass can do yeah um but there's lots of room for us to to explore shorter scales um and and uh and that would be us just paying attention to the market and paying attention to what you know you can you can we want to we want to follow our own path but but um if you're too rigid in your thinking um it's like it's like uh it's like you know if a tree falls in the forest does any does anybody care or does anybody yeah. know so if if you're in total isolation and you create the best possible base possible, but it doesn't appeal to anybody, nobody will play it, and they'll never yeah. know it was the best base possible. So, uh, so we um, we're investigating and playing around with with shorter scales. Yeah. So 
out of your bases, like you, you guys build four string, five string and six strings. Like what would be the most common that you're building right now? Like for, for five. Yeah. 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 80% of fives. Yeah. I don't play five strings. Um, there it's again, it's, I, I always trip over the B string, but, uh, any thought of like building like like more strings like like a like say a seven like is it is that it would ever be something you guys would consider and like it's, it's a very niche guitar but uh yeah you know um we get asked from time to time but um it's never been something that that somebody could convince me that the enough that i got excited and went wow that's that's something i want to jump into yeah so um one of the one of the problems that I face is it, uh, you know, I don't like doing anything half done, um, and, uh, and and so, man, it can take it can take from a year to several years to develop something to the point where I'll actually show people. Right. And and so uh, I'm working on stuff right now that people won't see for a year, two years, three years, five years. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, the cost of that development is so high that we kind of have to, we, we have to sell probably at least a hundred in order for it to even just break even. Right. Otherwise yeah. it's been an exercise in fun design, but, failed finances and you can only do that so so often before you you kill yourself that makes sense so with, would that be why it took so long to um to come up with a left-handed combustion series oh yeah yeah so um one of the one of the one of the big difficulties with um multi-scale is that is that there are, there, the lines aren't parallel, the fret lines aren't parallel, the bridge isn't parallel to the nut. And so it's not as simple as just flipping it over. Yeah. Um, everything, uh, it take for instance, a left-handed parallel fret um, neck. For the most part, the only difference is the dots are on the other side. Yeah. And that's it, right? Yeah. Um, you can get away with tuners being on the wrong side, it, you'll be fine. Um, but on a multi-scale that doesn't work it's, you're literally starting from scratch. I've, I've seen one and it, to me, like I walked into Lama Quaid in Saskatoon the one day and I saw it was the white five string that was there and it, it threw me off because like, I'm like, I'm used to looking at, at my NG2 and it's like, okay, this is how it looks. And you walked into Lama Quaid and it just flipped. It's like, I, I thought there was something wrong with my eyes when I saw it, but, uh, um, so what about this? So I have this C3 right here. Uh, that's a prototype. Do you guys actually build six string guitars anymore? Like a regular guitar? Like, cause I remember seeing like when I first started like researching your, your stuff back in the day, you guys were selling your, your custom one and custom two. There, there was, there was, there was a market for it then. Like, what does that look like now? And is that something you would want to revisit at some point? Yeah, sure. Um, the the, um, the the problem that we face is that, like I say, I've got I've got five years worth of project base projects um, waiting in line, um, and 
uh, around that time, around the, the C3 that, that you're talking about, um, uh, a good friend of mine who's now passed away, uh, uh, Pete Warnowski, he managed the local Long McQuaid, or actually he was the general manager for both stores. Yep. And um, and he took me aside and he said, you know, Sheldon, I'm just going to be honest with you. And this is one of the things I really loved about Pete was that uh, he would be honest with you to try and help you. Right. And, and he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I know that your heart is in guitars and you're a guitar player and you would love to bring these out. But if that means you're going to take resources away from supplying bases, which I have people waiting on, then I'm going to ask you, please don't do the guitars. Please focus on on uh, uh, getting the bases out because th that's where the demand is. Yeah. And and I went home from that meeting and I was like, oh, damn. Okay, well, what's wrong with being a bass builder? You know, it's it's not my native interest instrument, but um, I've really come to appreciate bass players as people, and um, and they are not they're not the same as guitar players. They're no. a completely different style of personality. And to be honest, I think it actually fits my personality better. So yeah. I, I, I I've really come to appreciate being in the bass world. Yeah. So like, I've noticed specifically lately that pretty much any video that i'm seeing like especially with like metalcore or like 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 really heavy bands guys are playing your instruments like like the new arch spire stuff like obviously you know periphery less periphery now because but uh you know what i mean and you know like bands like that so like what do you think brought this uh maybe call it a renaissance in of your style of basses with this music i know i know your instruments are played in all sorts of genres and whatever but what why do you think it really resonates with with specifically like like metal bands uh seven and eight string guitars yeah yeah. so yeah. they the the seven and eight string guitars um with a low b push the bass down into a lower frequency range and that forced the and and so and also low tuning like like tuning down to g or, or f sharp yeah um uh, that puts strain on on the equipment that um, just by accident our bases were able to handle yeah and and handle quite well and so um, it was just you know people I've heard it before that that our bases were um, a solution waiting for a problem hey. and that was meant more as a dig but um, in this case that was actually the exact um, way it turned out was that we had a solution for low tuning um and until that became a problem um people didn't recognize uh just how powerful that uh, this solution was yeah that that low b or f sharp string or i mean i've seen guys too to like e zero two as well yeah. like with your stuff like that's that's really low and that's a really thick gauge gauge string that you're playing but like the string tension on a 37 inch scale guitar. I mean, it's like you said, it's built for it. Um, what's the weirdest tuning that you've built like from factory? So I remember, I remember you guys had a combustion that you specifically tuned to F sharp and I actually owned that guitar for a while, but, uh, um, what, yeah, like what, I guess what's the lowest that you can order from, from like direct from you? Um, E zero would, would be as low as we've gone. Yeah. And, um, 
and we did one for Javier from Animals as Leaders. And um, the string was huge. It was almost a quarter inch in diameter. And um, I remember, I still have a video on my phone of just plucking the string and taking a video of it because it just looked like the string was in slow motion. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> nuts. Um, yeah. My brain. My brain's not working right right now. Um, so what? Yeah, what, what's what's next? Like for for the company in in general? Like like where 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 do you see this? I call it a wave of a uh, popularity. Like where is that going in the next like five years? Um, I don't think anybody knows. Um, you know, uh, one thing that that. I've always been aware of and all it's, it's been maybe a self-limiting fear is that, uh, music is fashion. And, um, you know, I was influenced by the records my sister listened to, but I also had my own records that she couldn't stand. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I, they were mine. Right. Yeah. And so, um, uh, one of, one of my jobs as the leader of the company is to try and navigate and find and, and 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 spread out into as many different areas as possible to to mitigate that risk because there are literally hundreds of people that um, their lives don't depend on it but if it affects their livelihood with every decision i make so um uh, i spent a lot of time working on strategy and and um so to be more direct to answer your question, um, uh, I, the, the, the metal market is, is one we love being in. Um, it's funny how from the outside, the metal players look scary and mean and, and dangerous. And yet every single one of them is just like the most genuine, um, down to earth type of person you can meet. So it's a really cool uh, it's a really cool um, space to be involved in. I'm really proud that that uh, we're able to to you know hang out in that space. Um, and and um, uh, but like you say, our our, our bases will play any genre. So we're also pushing into other areas and and trying to gain a foothold there. Yeah, is your shop still backed by the doggy daycare? Is it still on the other well, side of the building there? Uh, we took over the the doggy daycare space, and and so now we have the whole building. Oh yeah, um, it took forever to get the dog smell out of there, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I, my my sister's dog used to go there. I remember walking like bef before I knew where your where the, the factory was, and like, and I looked at the door. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. It's just, it was it was a weird concept to me that that, that it was backed by the uh, by by your your factory, but uh, so like. What did people think? Like walk, like, cause, like I've been, to, I've been to the factory before. We've, you've taken me on a tour and we've looked at it. Like, what did some of these people like that have showed up to the factory? Like, what did they think of walking into that space? Like, cause I, like the first time I, I walked into it, it's like, it was very humble, right? Like it, it's not, it's not, you, when I was there last, it, was, it wasn't very showy, you know, like it, it was, it was a working space. I mean, like what's, what, ha, like, has it changed since I've been there last, I guess with what I'm asking? Um, it's, 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 it's depending on which division you're in, uh, it's gotten quite a bit more organized looking. 
but it's still not showy. Um, we don't have a showroom. We don't have, um, you know, our, our reception area is actually a working office. You walk right into the sales office. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if, if money was no object, sure. Yeah. Would, would, you know, buy or build a pretty building and, and, uh, and, and we just don't have, um, we're not a big enough company to be able to do that at this point. We're still a small scrappy, yeah. um, we kill what we eat kind of, or we eat what we kill kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I like that actually. I, I, uh, I like, I like the underdog, um, in other people. And I like being the underdog, um, yeah. in, in my own, uh, area. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember walking in there like the first time, like there was a drill press sitting there. The guy off, off to the side was winding pickups and stuff. And yeah. Are you guys still winding your own pickups for everything? We do. Uh, we want our own pickups for the domestics. Right. And, and then we would wind prototype pickups that we would have, um, uh, they're, they're basically the best Asian pickup maker. Like they make, they make, um, what's called OEM pickups. So in other words, uh, yes, it may have somebody's logo on it, but it was made by this company. Right. Um, and so they would do contract manufacturing for a lot of different companies and, and they do all the import pickups. Right. Right. Why did, why did the, the pickups in the combustion change from, from the original squares to the, uh, to the rounded? Oh. Well, that was, um, uh, that was, that was for a couple of reasons. The reason that, but the main reason was, um, injection molded tooling is like stupid expensive. And, um, we were hand making our shells, um, for the, for the domestic basis for the custom stuff. Yeah. So originally we, we, we built ourselves a vacuum forming machine and we'd get sheets of plastic in and we'd heat it up until it was melted and sagging and then <laughs> suck that hot plastic over top of wooden shells, which would give us a shape. And then would CNC machine our logo into it and would bead blast it and cut it out. Our shells were costing us like 10 bucks a shell kind of thing. Oh, wow. Um, and, and they looked like uh, to the untrained eye, they looked like they were injection molded shells. They looked like you know, we, went, we went out and spent $10,000 on, on tooling and, and have a thousand shells in the back room. And, but no, they were each handmade. Um, and then we went to the next level and we started casting them and casting gets you a much better looking product, but you end up with pickup shells that, uh, a higher reject rate. And so they're still costing us 10 bucks each. Yeah. And so the volume of the combustions got to the point where it's like, okay, if it continues to grow. And we start using injection molded shells in the combustions. We can justify the cost and expense of doing injection molded tooling so that we can get them onto the domestic basis. So the only reason the combustions had the round end shells was to pay for the tooling to put them onto the domestics. That makes sense. Then. Yeah. Cause like my, my NG2 that, that has the original square ones and Buttman by super J has the rounded, but, uh, yeah, um, your shells, your shells are handmade. 
on the on the NG? On that Super J. On, oh, really? the, on the Super J. Yep. Cool. That's still my favorite bass. I, I play that every day. It's just, yeah, that's that's one of my favorites too. I, I I remember that bass like I remember like it was yesterday. Yeah, um, I actually i i've I've spoken to the guy that originally ordered that. There was Arlington, Houston. There, really? Yeah. There's a, that part I don't remember. Um, that's so on Facebook. There's a a Super J Super P club. You may I didn't or, know that. Yeah, there. Um, I think that, that Stephen Gibson started it. Um, and everybody was showing pictures of their bases and like the dude that Arlington Houston, he's like, I ordered that base. It's like, and I bought it off the shelf at Longwood Quaid in, in Saskatoon. So we, we've had a, hmm. we talk about it every now and then it's, it's interesting. Cause it's, cause like you, I think you told me like that was a fairly custom job on that one. Like with like the mother of pearl oh, yeah. inlays and like the, the drop D tuner on it and everything. It's, Everybody that that sees it is very jealous of that bass, but I'm, I'm I'm glad I picked it up. But uh and that and that Bronze Age finish that was um uh that was a difficult finish to get that color and it was designed around a, a piece of pickguard material. Yeah. And the the so I sat shell, there, right? Uh no um Here's what I found. I can't remember what the it's no longer available, but it was a kind of a, a bronze um swirl pickguard. That one looks like Toro to show. Yeah, that one is. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. That's it. That's the bronze. That's not Toro to show. That's the that's that unobtainium bronze um, pickguard material. So the finish was was custom blended using eyedroppers and dye to to modify the the color of the finish until it matched that pickguard. That's awesome. Yeah, like it's. I guess I didn't realize like it was that rare, but. Uh... No, it's it's awesome. It, it it plays great, and it maybe should be in the hands of somebody that's a little better player than me. But I'm glad I have it. But uh... um, you know what? It it's it's all about how it makes you feel. If if you feel good playing it, then it's in the right place. Yeah, I, I definitely do. Like, I have my NG2. It very rarely gets played because, like, this it, it just it, it suits my style better. I'm guessing. There we go. Yeah. So you guys have a contest running right now um, yeah. to win a D-Rock. Do you want to tell people about that a little bit? Sure. Um, this is something we did last year. And, um, you know, contests are, are, are kind of a cool way to just get, uh, get people to interact with your brand. And um, uh, I hate using marketing terms like that, but I mean, let's let's face it. We're in a biz. We're we're in a business. We're in a business to sell bases, and so we have to um, pay attention to things like branding and engagement with customers. But um, in the end, uh, just a quick tangent on that. When it comes to customers, you mentioned Arlington, Houston. Um, you know, uh, he's he started out as a customer, but uh, now I consider him a friend. And Arlington has been a friend for almost twenty years. You know, nice. and so so I'll use terms like branding and customer engagement, but in, in the end, I don't think I've met a customer of ours that I didn't like, and I wouldn't want to go and have a beer with or have a coffee with. They're yeah. they're all just like super cool people. So. Um, 
but the, getting back to contests, it's 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 a way. I mean, we're not really that strong on YouTube. We we only just hit the ten thousand subscriber mark, um, and our social media manager Felipe is uh, um, he's tasked with getting more YouTube subscribers um, so that we can we can get people seeing more than just the videos that pop up on their feed. Yeah, that we can get people to see. Um, some of our setup videos and get people to see we want to provide a, a lot of content that has less to do with you know just hey we want to sell you a base you know buy our base yeah, yeah. and and more with hey you know what um, you guys are our friends here's something important I think it'll help you here's a video on it and it has nothing to do with buying a base it just has some everything to do with with just um, sharing the information that took us 30 years to figure out yeah and so the contest is a way of um getting people to subscribe and and a way of of um getting another base into somebody's hands that maybe can't afford it yeah, yeah. um but uh wouldn't it be cool if that person turned out to be the next nolly or the next uh um jared from arch spy or something like that or yeah. the next jacob umansky uh, I'm actually wearing an interval interval shirt right now. And, uh, yeah, Jacob Miansky's a, that his new Z3 that you built is like, every time I see a video with him in it, it's like, it's, it's nuts. Plus the guy's a, a fantastic player too. Um, great player, great guy. Yeah. It seems fun, you know, and I'm hoping that, you know, like once stuff calms down again, that I'm hoping intervals will come through here so I can actually go see him. Oh, I think they are actually. Uh, I can't remember the date, but I'm. Oh, I don't know if they. Maybe that's not announced yet, but hopefully. Maybe not. Um, that stuff I don't follow. Um, that's Felipe's job, and and yeah. he'll tell me, "Hey, Sheldon, uh, somebody's coming in October. You know, yeah. are you going to be here?" <laughs> I know they just they just canceled the, some shows in Toronto to the new COVID shit again, but is what it is. Yeah, tired of it. Tired of it. So we do one thing here on, on the Lost Signals podcast. We add two songs by uh, every week to, a, to a, a playlist on Spotify. Usually my co-host and I add these songs, but usually when we have guests on, we get them to add two. Um, which songs did you want to add? I know we, we spoke about this like last week, just to give you a heads up about it, but uh, there's two that you were going to add. Um, I, I, I forget what I suggested. I think it was Make Total Destroy. Yeah. Um, and there was an, and, and it was an Amanda Marshall song. And I was going to ask you about like, what's, what's the connection there? Oh, uh, Birmingham. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, okay. There's, I've got a bit of a funny story. Um, but essentially, uh, Lee Sklar played on that album. Okay. I, yeah. And, uh, and, and that was like probably one of the first times I heard our bass on the radio on, on a pop tune where the B string had a lot of room and it was like, okay, yeah, I can, I don't, you don't have to tell me, you don't have to tell me what bass was used in that. I recognize the tone. Yeah. So that, and, and I like the song. Um, and, uh, so, uh, Amanda's, I met Amanda's boyfriend who was bass playing bass in, in the live band. And he gave me his personal information and, and we were supposed to connect at some point. And, uh, so I called one morning 
and uh, a very sleepy Amanda picks up the phone and goes, hello. <laughs> and that's like, oh my God, I just woke up Amanda Marshall. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Well, that seems like a good place to end it. We've covered a lot of things here. Uh, yeah. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, if you want to check out uh, any any Dingwall stuff, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, everything. I'll have every like everything all linked in the description. Um, yeah. Go check out their stuff. It's, uh, Sweet. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Sheldon. And we will see you guys out there. Cheers, Jarrah. Thanks.